The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW Look Back podcast, proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. And it's pay-per-view day. We bloody love pay-per-view day. And when I say we, obviously I don't just mean myself. There is my partner in crime checking out this WCW Halloween Havoc special from the October of 1996. As always, I am joined by the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are you doing, my friend? Happy Halloween, Si. Um, except it's July the 2nd and it's really hot outside. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, I've been looking forward to getting around to covering this show with your good self because, I mean, again, I suppose it, it's context of the uh, the project we're doing for Nitro Nights. We say it quite often, so I apologize for repeating myself. But at the same time, if this is the first episode somebody listens to, and our numbers are going up and up, so it may well be the first episode somebody listens to, the, a big selling point, a big premise of our WCW Watchback project was to start at the very first Nitro and then take everything in in order. Nitros, funders, Clash of Champions, pay-per-views, etc., etc., until the company closes in 2001. And the aspect of it that I really enjoy is that you've not seen a huge chunk of this. You're unfamiliar with masses of this WCW product we're reviewing. So it's great having a, a huge wrestling fan and a knowledgeable wrestling fan looking back on something as big as WCW was and became for the very first time in 2023. That's a big selling point, I think, a big a big positive point for our project that sets us aside a little bit from other look back and review projects because most people have already seen the stuff they're reviewing. With regards to Halloween Havoc 1996, had you seen any of this before? No, absolutely none of it. Um, as I sat there and watched it, um, I watched it in one sitting and then I watched the uh, main event again and I was just like, wow, like just blown away. But we'll get into that. We will indeed. We will indeed. Uh, Halloween Havoc comes to us from the NGM Grand uh, Arena in Nevada, where, I mean, Havoc stayed 
in that same venue for for a little while. It, sort of, it seemed to be the base they were trying to build for Halloween Havoc. Uh, it received a 0.7 pay-per-view buy rate, which works out roughly-ish to about 235,000, 240,000 buys. So it's not a bad sum at all, really. Uh, but before we dive into what happened on this particular Sunday night, we need to have a little check to see, was there anything on Saturday night that affected the pay-per-view? When Danny tells us all about WCW Saturday night. WCW Saturday night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. So this week, um, that's actually a very good question to lead into, Sarah, because I found the opener very interesting. That the fact that we have Mike Enos and Dick Slater defeating the WCW Tag Team Champions Harmless Heat, but luckily it was only by disqualification. Okay. That's it. That is curious, isn't it? Having your champions lose the day before the pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah, that's very weird. But um, we also had um, Jeff Jarrett defeating Roadblock via submission with a, with a figure four leg lock. Now that one, I really need to go out of my way to see. You're just a glutton for punishment, aren't you, I think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't picture Roadblock selling for the... Um, a submission. <laughs> what do you want him to do? Be like early 90s Undertaker and just sit there and no sell it or something? Yeah. <laughs> Hulk up out of the figure four. <laughs> we also had Eddie Guerrero defeating JL. Uh, we have uh, Dean Malenko pinning Alex Wright, who we haven't seen Alex Wright in a while on Nitro Nights. No, we haven't. You're right. Yeah. Um, we had Jimmy Graffiti defeating the Cheetah Kid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and in our semi-man event, we had Chris Benoit pinning Sergeant Craig Pittman. Right. And then in the main event, we had a team that's been getting a little bit of a push, the Faces of Fear, defeating High Voltage when Meng pinned Chaos. Okay. I mean, I can understand that because uh, High Voltage, sorry, Faces of Fear are going to go on and take on the Horsemen at the pay-per-view. It's quite a prominent spot for them. And they're spoken about when we get, well, we'll hear it when we get into our, our, our sort of look back on the show itself. They are talked about in the circles of the tag team title picture. So I can understand why that, that has occurred there because High Voltage aren't, aren't booked on the pay-per-view and I don't really think they ever go on to do anything really anyway. So that booking decision does make sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there we go. So then we head to the MGM Grand in Vegas where there was apparently 10,000 people in attendance. However, I think they only sold about seven and a half thousand tickets. The rest were three B's and so on. But it did mean, I mean, this is the first show that WCW have struggled to sell out in a long time uh, with regards to their TV and their pay-per-views and so on. But it did mean that they made a hell of a lot more money on the gate because tickets were much more expensive for this pay-per-view event to see it live than the last few. I don't know whether that's because WCW are bumping their prices up because they're they're the hottest thing going in the wrestling world at this point, or if it's just because it's in Vegas and that's the nature of the beast in that sort of area, I don't know. But uh, yeah, the crowd didn't feel, uh, it didn't feel off or undersold or anything. I think the crowd was pretty hot throughout the whole event, Danny, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They really were from start to finish. Mm, indeed. Um, we get our usual commentary team for these pay-per-view events of Tony Schiavone leading the way as our play-by-play guy. And we also have Bobby Heenan and Dusty Rhodes. 
I really like this combo. And as I've said before on numerous uh, pay-per-view reviews we've done here on Nitro Nights, I do really, really enjoy this combo. I think the the mixture of Heenan kind of acting the heel commentator, you know, Dusty Rhodes acting the babyface commentator, but still very much in the Dusty Rhodes character with a voice and his, his, his silly ramblings. And then Shivani, well, I suppose literally sitting between them, but also figuratively uh, and and when you're hearing the commentary sitting between them to break up little arguments or, or discussions back and forth and Shivani also gets a few jabs in on Dusty and Bobby Heenan as well I, I think this commentary team works really well but I think if we had Dusty every week on Nitro it might go then into into the grounds of you know a bit of overkill maybe what, what how do you feel about these these three together but also I suppose a three-man booth because I mean I grew up in wrestling with either a sole commentator or mainly a two-man team how do you feel about these three and then a three-man booth in general well pretty much the same because I'm glad that they save these three for um pay-per-views that that, as you were saying we don't get overexposed especially for someone like Dusty Mm. um I love the fact that we we've we're only really at the beginning of Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan. I mean, they're going for years to call Nitro and stuff like that. That's a very underrated team. Um, in, I love the three-man booth, to be honest with you. I think it's because it, it, TNA did it in the very last uh, years that I watched it. They had a three-man booth, and I really enjoyed... Um, I just enjoy like the conversation between all three of them, and it also you don't get um, kind of tired of hearing the same voices. It's nice to hear like someone else. I'm I'm wondering what year Nitro will add in another because I know they go to a three man booth at some point. Um, well, they've been primarily they yeah, they've been primarily three men from the start, weren't they? They were uh, yeah. Bischoff and Mongo and Heenan. And yep. then that obviously changed with regards to Mongo when he started working and, and became one of the horsemen and so on. And now we've got Tanay, Bischoff and yep. Heenan tend to be the team that close the hour, the second yep. hour of Nitro. Um, but it, I agree with you with regards to keeping it fresh and different voices and so on. So, I mean, with Nitro, obviously, we get two commentary teams, one for the first hour, one for the second hour. And I like that. It freshens the show up for the second hour. Here in a pay-per-view format, obviously, we've got a three-hour program, and it's the same voices all the way. I like... I mean, I'm a massive Jim Ross fan. That's no secret to, to anyone who's ever heard me talk about pro wrestling. You know, I'm a massive... To me, Jim Ross is the voice of wrestling. He's who I grew up with. He is the soundtrack to all of my memories as a kid when I believed in pro wrestling. And obviously now that I'm a bit older and I'm watching AEW with my daughter and so on, he has been the soundtrack to my whole wrestling life. And he was always in a two-man team for the majority of my time growing up watching pro wrestling. However, here I feel with Dusty and Heenan, and then Shivani playing it a bit straighter in the middle. The three-man booth does break it up enough so that it doesn't get tiresome over the course of a whole pay-per-view, I think. Yeah. And then you also add the inclusion of Mike Tanay in our opener, and you've got a four-man team, and it's good that he does that still. So that's something that wrestling could use nowadays. We don't really see too much of that, do we? Well, you mean like a a specific guy coming in for certain matches that he might have more knowledge about, you mean? Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um, I, I, I don't know whether ego plays into that sometimes, 
whether you have people on commentary and they don't want somebody else coming in. I mean, we've heard it ourselves, haven't we? Mike Tanay comes in and he knows the name of all the names of all the Mexican guys, uh, the luchadors and so on, and the Japanese guys, and he knows the names of all the moves they're using. And we end up almost with Dusty Rhodes and Bobby Heenan effectively bullying the guy yeah. on one pay-per-view event. It got a bit uncomfortable. Uh, mock, mocking him, at least, is the sort of the way they go. Yeah. I wonder if there's a bit of an ego thing that comes into wrestling sometimes with regards to, well, why is this guy coming in to call this match? This is my job. I don't yeah. know whether that... I, I'm, I'm literally just guesswork here. I, I don't know for a fact, but I mean, wrestling is full of fragile egos. We, we're all fully aware of that at every level, so that is yeah. quite plausible, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just guessing, my friend. But there we go. You mentioned our opener. Let's dive straight on in. This is a match that I was really looking forward to getting your opinions on. We have Rey Mysterio Jr. defending the WCW Cruiserweight Championship against the number one contender, a guy who I think has been an absolute star in this year, in this you know 1996 period that we've been looking back on for the last few episodes of Nitro Nights, well, last few months of Nitro Nights, uh, Dean Malenko. What did you think of this? Because I fucking loved it. Oh, mate, this was a fantastic opener. Um, it's something that you always hear about uh, fans saying, oh, WCW just ruled with the Cruiserweights. This is a prime example. Um, I love the storytelling in this match. Dean Malenko was trying to end it early. He was like, I want to punish Rey Mysterio. And then something I've never thought happened, I've never learned about this anywhere, um, was the fact that Rey Mysterio unmasked in this match and put on his old mask that Dean had been carrying around for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, yeah, really, really big fan of this match. It was it was superb. It was super. I mean, uh, I'm a big Dimalenko fan anyway, from what I've seen of him and, and so on over the years. But getting to watch the weekly TV back now at the age I'm at and with my opinions formed in the way they are at the age I'm currently at, I'm, I'm appreciating the guy more and more and more every time I see him in the ring. Uh, you mentioned that Dimalenko starts very quickly, and he does. He jumps Rey Mysterio early, and we got a really early attempt at his Cloverleaf uh, submission finisher which Ray gets out of. Uh, there's a cool moment as well where <laughs> Dimalenko goes for just a simple snapmare, you know, a, a, a takeover with, with Ray's head, and he forward flips out of it and lands on his feet. That was pretty spectacular, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, I really was, mate. Yeah. Uh, eventually, Dimalenko ends up on the outside, but gets hit with a swanton dive from uh, Ray Mysterio before Malenko takes control with a side suplex, and then we see him busting out a few of those 1,000 holds that he apparently knows. We have a half crab, which goes into a kind of um, a, a stretch move where he's got the leg and the arm and his foot and his knee and the small of Ray's back. Uh, we get a belly-to-back suplex off the top, which was incredible. Um, Ray then hits a head scissors before we get... Uh, Dean Malenko again in control with a brain buster and then a backbreaker submission and then the camel clutch. And he's really, really, you know, displaying how much, how many wrestling holds and moves he knows and going from one to the other. But it all makes sense. It's not like he's just showing off for the purpose of it. Look what I can do. Here's 47 holds in a row that mean absolutely nothing. Everything he's doing had a purpose, I felt. Yeah, definitely. And he, you look at the weeks that he's um, been on television where he's walked around with Rey Mysterio's mask, you can genuinely feel he hates Rey Mysterio and he wants to punish him with these submissions. And it's just fantastic. 
yes, indeed. Uh, a, a camel clutch is applied by Milenko at one point before Di Milenko applies a sleeper, but adds a body scissors into it as well, which I thought was a really nice touch. Both then fall from the top rope to the floor at one point, and the commentators tease we may get a double count out, which I was really hoping would not be the case, before Ray goes close with a, a real near fall, a real close two, with what would become named the West Coast Pop later on in his career. He tries that again, though, and it's countered into a powerbomb by Dean Malenko, which was just incredible. And then a gut wrench powerbomb off the top rope from Dean Malenko for the three count. And we have a new Cruiserweight champion. And I thought this was bloody amazing. So, so good. It was everything I wanted it to be, basically. Yeah, it's the same here, mate. And it's a rivalry that it's gone on a good few months now. And I'm just not tired of it. Um, mm. Just fantastic stuff. And there's, it's not like these two are drawing you in with their promo ability or anything like that. It's their work in the ring. It's just fantastic. Yes, it is indeed. It is indeed. I would recommend if anyone out there is going to watch any random wrestling match, if you're stuck for something to watch this week and you want to put something on a bit old school, this would be the match I would recommend chucking on. It is an absolute gem. What follows maybe isn't quite a gem. We have our buddy Lee Marshall, who is actually at the building for this recording, this pay-per-view, rather than being, well, it's supposedly somewhere else, but he never actually was. He was always at the building when he was supposed to be in Phoenix and these other places. Uh, He's not ringing in with a weather report on this occasion. He's interviewing Jeff Jarrett, who basically says to the giant, you may beat me up and you may beat me, but you will not chokeslam me, which is a weird promo for me, to be fair. Before Ric Flair comes out and we get shouty Flair chopsing off about all the women queuing around the block to come to their party. I love Ric Flair. It's no secret to anyone that Flair's one of my all-time favorites. Him and Sean are my two, top two of all time. But there are certain times where I think the shouty, typical Ric Flair gimmick doesn't quite hit. And this is one of those occasions, I think. Is it the association that is with Jeff Jarrett that's taking it down a notch? No, I don't think so. I just think that Flair's injured. Yeah. Somebody has stolen his title. Jeff Jarrett is stepping in for him. And you've got all these other moving parts with the horseman going on behind the scenes as well. And he's still shouting about, I mean, I know it's his gimmick. I know it's what's made him money and what's made him the star he is for decades, but he's shouting about a party and all the women. Well, I thought his concentration probably should have been more, uh, maybe wind it back a touch, be a bit calmer because you've got somebody else representing you as opposed to being able to go to the ring yourself because you're crocked. And maybe concentrate more on what Jarrett's doing for you as opposed to just being Flair. I think there are moments where it needs winding down a touch. But Mm. Flair almost, especially in later day, not so much here in 96, but we do see moments of it, Flair almost becomes a parody of himself. Like he's Ric Flair playing Ric Flair playing Ric Flair, if that makes sense. Yeah, it certainly does, yeah. Okay. Um, This next match is a bit of a funny one for me because we've got one of the greatest of all time, Eddie Guerrero, who we can see in ring is superb, even at this point in his career. But he hasn't quite found himself yet. He's just, you know, a bland, generic baby face number seven on the list or whatever he may well be. And then we've got DDP 
who is finding his feet, you know, or due respect to Diamond Dallas Page, was never the in-ring performer that Eddie Guerrero was, but he's finding his feet himself now. His character is coming out, and he is supposed to be the heel of the scenario, but because he's got a little bit more, I suppose, he's closer to the finished product that would become Diamond Dallas Page, then Eddie is to being the Eddie Guerrero that we got on Earth, whether it's heel or face or whatever. I felt that there were times where the crowd were backing DDP above Eddie Guerrero, which isn't quite what WCW wanted them to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. And that's a really good point about Eddie Guerrero being very um, sort of generic here because even his ring attire is like something that you'd see out of a crate, a wrestler game or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. And I'd throw Jericho into that as well at the moment. Yeah. Jericho is very new to the business at this point. Well, new to WCW at least. And I throw Eddie Guerrero and Chris Jericho with their their entrance music, their look, their their mannerisms of, you know, clenching their fists and shaking it to the crowd and going, come on, and all that sort of stuff. It's yeah. it's incredibly, you know, baby face, paint my numbers, isn't it? They haven't found yeah. themselves yet. Hmm. Uh, I think Paige runs out of steam in this match before the end. I, I think it's a decent contest, and we get quite a bit of back and forth, quite a bit of brawling. But I think sort of five minutes before the end of this match... Page is kind of he's sucking air, he's gasping, and I think he's struggling to keep up with Eddie Guerrero. Maybe, well, how how did you find this? I mean, talk us through what you liked about this match, and then we'll get to the finish. Much like the first uh, contest, um, I loved the fact that Eddie Guerrero came out with anger on his face because this is another feud that's been going on quite a few months, and. Um, Eddie Guerrero just running to the ring and being like, ah, and then he, him getting the jump start on DDP. Um, and there was a lot of good takedowns by DDP, which um, I loved as well. And um, a lot of this was DDP working Eddie Guerrero's neck because, and I was thinking, why is he doing that? And then it, it dawned on me, oh yeah, because of the diamond cutter. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the one thing which I found very odd was DDP calling Eddie Guerrero girlfriend uh, repeatedly. <laughs> I didn't get that. Point. Yeah. Nobody on commentary got that either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, also I, fa- I found it a bit weird that um, DDP and um, Nick Patrick were arguing as well since um, they're both heels. Yeah, that is an odd one, but I suppose, I suppose the the premise is that Nick Patrick is potentially NWO as opposed to just a heel. Oh yeah. So DDP is WCW, I guess. But I mean, nothing's clear at this stage. It's all very murky waters, of course. But it uh, maybe that would be explained why they did it. But I agree with you. I don't see why Nick Patrick couldn't have had that spot with Eddie Guerrero. That would have yeah. made more sense. Yeah, definitely. It would, it would have added to his um, heel persona a little better. Mm, indeed. Um Basically, the finish comes when DDP hits what they call on commentary a flapjack, and then it goes straight into a big powerbomb. But according to uh, Eric Bischoff and Kevin Sullivan and various other people whose interviews and podcasts I've read and listened to, Eddie got his bell rung here. I don't know whether he was actually knocked out or something happened to to hurt Guerrero anyway, whether it was from the flapjack initially. I don't know if he tucked his head right. I I, I don't know. I've, I've, I've never been in the ring. I'm far from an expert, but... This is why the diamond cutter looked a bit on the clunky side and it felt almost to me like they went to the finish kind of out the blue. 
Yeah. And it basically Paige wins with the diamond cutter. But you see afterwards, Eddie Guerrero's in the ring and people are quite concerned about him as Paige walks away. But I mean, to, to me, this was okay. It was never going to live up to the opener. No. And if you take into consideration that maybe DDP ran out, of, ran out of steam a little bit and Eddie Guerrero was injured towards the end, it, it was okay. It, it, it wasn't anything special to me. What did you think? No, pretty much the same. But um, I love the fact that you told me that because I wrote down Paige hits a dodgy looking uh, diamond cutter. But now I understand that since Eddie Guerrero was out of it, he couldn't have been in the position 100% to take it. Um, yeah, this. I hope this feud does continue because I think it deserves uh, a bit of a stronger finish than that. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And, and with regards to Paige, it's... It's curious with him because, uh, again, listening to uh, literally yesterday, listening to a podcast where Bischoff's quite an old one, he was talking about Page and the push that Page got in '97 and '98 and so on, and he was saying that he wanted to do it earlier, but because he and DDP are really close friends in real life, and Page literally lives two doors down the street from him at this point, not not now, but at this point, and everyone knew Page and Bischoff were friendly and would hang out at weekends and all this. He held back on Diamond Dallas Page because he didn't want to be seen as playing favourites. Yeah. And I can appreciate how awkward that could have been. But on the other side of the coin, I kind of look at what we know happens with WCW and the favourites they have with regards to Hogan. And I think, mm, is that 100% accurate, Mr. Bischoff? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but there we go. Uh, after this, we have some weird randy savage stuff i mean savage is always a little bit of an oddball let's be honest but this is weird we have a monster truck competition from slim jim because that's what you give away on a wrestling show apparently you know it's, it's sponsored by slim jim it's in vegas why not give away three tickets why not give away three slim jims why not give away i, I don't know merch or meet and greet wrestlers whatever i don't know but they're giving away a fucking monster truck for crying out loud <laughs> Do you remember um, on Bullseye when they would give away um, like big boats to people that didn't even have a garden, never mind somewhere to put the boat? <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's see what you've won. It's a speedboat. It's like, God damn it, Jim, I live in a flat in Birmingham. You know, it's like... <laughs> uh, we watched some, when we went to the uh, book signing with my wife in Sheffield a few weeks back, uh, we were in a hotel and me and my middle daughter live we were restricted for TV stations, obviously, because they dropped the three view in there and whatnot. We ended up watching reruns of Bullseye. And when they did the whole in one, in two, running through the prizes, and it was like a, a wooden dresser and all this sort of stuff, my lips is just laughing at this, absolutely wetting herself at some of the prizes. And then they say in six or whatever. And it's a high tech uh, video re cassette recorder. And she's pissing herself and laughing. And I'm thinking, I've got two of them in the ace. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, yeah, uh, Randy Savage draws out the winner of the monster truck. It's like, what are they going to do? What are they going to do with it? It, it's huge. <laughs> it's a monster truck for fuck's sake. Are they going to enter competitions now? You yeah. know, and the win the winner was some last named Joan. Uh, in my head, I'm hoping Joan is in her sixties. You know, and yes. just sat there in her cardigan. You know, watching wrestling and and, and just you know, oh, I've got a monster truck. I can go racing. It's it's, it's so silly. Yeah. 
But there's an amazing thing that's just popped into my mind. On that WWE show, uh, Most Wanted Treasures, somebody uh, found the hat of this monster truck that is living in, that's been stored in someone's uh, garage for years and years and years. Um, yeah, I'll really? definitely uh, send that to you. You can put it on the um, the socials because, yeah, uh, somewhere, I don't know where the actual truck is, but the hat of it is in someone's uh, garage. Because when we see, I mean, spoiler alert, I guess, in a sort of weird, silly, you know, 27-year-old television way, we see the truck later on. They bring the truck out with Savage's entrance, and it's fucking massive, and it's got this huge Randy Savage hat on top with all the tassels of going off the back and everything. It's just insane. You need to go and check out this monster truck for yourselves on Halloween Havoc 96 if you've not watched the pay-per-view back yet. And just remember... There's some poor lass in, I don't know, some state in the America called Joan who has won this and now has to leave it on her driveway for, for whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's just daft. It's insane. Insane. <laughs> uh, what we also got then, though, next was something really very much of its time. And I can remember this kind of thing. We go to see how the CompuServe system is working. And Tony Schiavone and and the other commentators are very proud to say, nowadays the shows I'll find us online or do the, go to this website or you can find us on Twitter, whatever. They're like, we are on the internet. And they are really proud of themselves about this. And it's the CompuServe system, which I'm guessing is like a chat room kind of thing or messenger service. And we see actual footage on the screen of the CompuServe setup. And it looks incredibly dated now, but I got such a batch a huge wave of nostalgia about looking at this because I can remember this kind of thing happening. And then we cut to Chris Jericho, who is topless for some random reason, sat at a table and there's one little computer on this table. Nothing else is there at all. There's nothing else there on this little computer and, and this guy. And Jericho is answering, supposedly answering fans' questions and this guy is typing his answers in for him. It was so of its time, Danny, wasn't it? Oh, it really was, mate. And yeah, I just I love seeing um those old episodes of WWF Livewire where they're just um talking about this hot new thing, the internet, and yeah, it's just so good. <laughs> it's just Shivani, man. We are on the internet. Like he doesn't really know what these words are that are coming out of his mouth. It's 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 brilliant. <laughs> Uh, we get a couple of interviews then, don't we? I mean, first of all, I suppose, is a, a proper WCW interview. Mike Tanay speaks with Dean Malenko, who is our new Cruiserweight champion, and he says that he'll take on all comers, and that includes Rey Mysterio for a rematch and anyone else, and so on. And um, interviews aren't Malenko's strong point. This is something that you know ran for his whole career, but he does okay here, I think. Yeah, definitely. He's definitely trying. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, after this, we have an NWO interview, and it seems that part of the way up on the one side of the arena, there is a, a, a door there with a big NWO banner, and Ted DiBiossi is effectively supposed to be interviewing the Giant, we're told, by the commentary team who throw to him, but he just basically cuts a promo before sending a gi- the Giant down to the ring. And this is where every NWO guy makes their entrance on this pay-per-view. It's almost reminiscent to you know modern-day wrestling fans, if, if you remember, how the Shield used to come through <laughs> and that kind of area in the crowd. That's what the NWO are doing for every match they're part of, Danny, isn't it? Yeah, it really is, man. And that's a great comparison as well because it's like 
you're you're just like an outside invading force so why would you be um walking down the ramp like i'm just very interested to see how they explain away that later on in later years but mm. yeah for this early incarnation love it yeah i'm me I mean, uh, that does take us to the Giants match of the evening. And he is, of course, taking on Jeff Jarrett. We mentioned earlier on his interview with Shitey Ranty Flair. And Flair comes out to his own music after Jarrett and the Giants have made their entrance and effectively steals a bit of their attention, a bit of their heat, maybe is the term, because we've got the Giant who is NWO. So people are unsure whether they want to cheer or boo. We've got Jarrett who gets a bit of a mixed reaction, I guess. And then Flair comes out and the crowd go wild for him. So it's kind of, on one hand, I can appreciate sending Flair out there because you get that baby face pop and the crowd loves seeing him. And he's, he's obviously involved in this because the US title is a part of this match and so on. But on the other side of the coin, is this a hindrance for Jarrett? Maybe having a guy who is a bigger star and by far more popular than himself in his corner. Danny, what do you think? Yeah, I could see that as well. But at the same time, I think um, there's this old um, uh, sort of metaphor of like um, when they wanted to get somebody over, they would put Hulk Hogan in the ring and they called it Hulk dust. I I think they would, um, I think this would be flare dust now and they're trying their best. But yeah, we'll see how far this goes. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, Flair is uh, legitimately injured at this point. He, he needs surgery on his shoulder. It's going to take him out of the ring for, I, I think he's out for the rest of the calendar year at this point. I'm not 100% sure. And then we all we go into issues with regards to himself and Bischoff and legal matters and so on. It's, it's quite an interesting time for Ric Flair. Of the, he's, he's in, he's out and, and so on coming forward. But here, again, like I said, he's in his street clothes. He's in the corner of Jeff Jarrett. And the match is very much built around, and I suppose rightfully so, very much built around Jeff Jarrett being the smaller guy, but much quicker than the Giant, and the Giant obviously being a much bigger guy who is much more powerful. It's, it's kind of the whole premise of this contest, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's um, called um, Jack and the Beanstalk type match, isn't it? Like where the the normal size guy is trying to chop down the Giant all, all the match long, and yeah, they just played it brilliantly. Mm. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this, to be fair. I thought this was pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think the finish was a bit of a shame, but I enjoyed it. Um, Jeff Jarrett gets thrown around like he's just a child. It's ridiculous. Not that I you know, condone throwing children. I've maybe I worded that incorrectly, but he's getting lobbed around all over the place here. And he takes some crazy high bumps from the giant when the giant is trying to display how strong and powerful he is uh, before you know, Jarrett applies a sleeper. Which again makes sense when you're wrestling a bigger guy, try and you know, try and choke him out, try and get him down on the mat. Um, the giant cuts this, uh, you know, flurry of offense by Jarrett off of a massive big boot, which sends Jarrett flying, and he's then beating upon Jarrett for a while before Flair gets the house mic and starts yelling, "Get up, Jeff, and kick his <laughs> NWO ass!" It's like Rick, stop it. You know, it's like, I don't think that was necessary. No, Flair was just going mental outside, wasn't he? His mm. uh, body language, it was like, it was almost like he was in the match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit mad, a bit mad. Um, those drop kicks, though, by Jeff Jarrett, I mean, the giant, obviously, is a big old guy. And Jarrett gets right up in the air and puts both his feet in the big show's, in, well, in the giant, sorry, in his face. That was spectacular. 
really was mate and he sold it very very well as well i mean first off maybe he wasn't selling it because it just looked like it connected <laughs> yeah it looked like he literally just kicked him in the face <laughs> uh we have a figure four attempt, but Jarrett is pushed off and falls out of the ring. Then there's a bit of brawling on the outside before Jarrett actually applies the figure four on the outside on the floor. The giant quite easily, though, just reaches across and grabs Jarrett by the throat and teases he's going to choke slam him on the floor. Flair hits a low blow. Jarrett's disqualified. You know, the giant wins. Then the horsemen all hit the ring. Arn Anderson wearing a glorious hogwild denim jacket, which is just spectacular. And there's a bit of posturing between the two before the, the giant just kind of walks off. Before we get to our next NWO interview in the crowd, what did you think of the finish and the horseman coming out and, and all that stuff, Danny? Loved it, mate. And it just continues the feud uh, between the horseman and the NWO. So, mm. yeah, really, really well done. Okay. Okay. Great stuff. Uh, the next interview in the crowd, as I said, from the NWO is DiBiase talking on behalf of Six. Six does get a couple of lines in, but there's nothing really noteworthy before he heads to the ring and takes on Chris Jericho. And that's when we get a shot of Kevin Sullivan, Conan and Big Bubba in the crowd watching the wrestling. So they're obviously out for a little, you know, mate's night on the town, it seems. And um, this match starts, as you would expect, I suppose, two guys influenced by their time in Japan and Mexico and so on. Very fast, lots of arm drags, lots of counters, lots of drop kicks. And it's it's what you'd expect from these two to begin with, I think, Danny, isn't it? It really is, mate. And just to go back to the um, Dungeon of Doom in the crowd, I just found Kevin Sullivan in the suit just very, un- very unpleasant sight. <laughs> I'm just not used to it. I'm used to him in his... Uh, extra small bathrobe um no, he just looks very very <laughs> odd there didn't he he's obviously got himself some new conditioner as well because his hair yes. looked <laughs> glorious and fluffy didn't it, it was <laughs> <laughs> but there we go uh chris jericho is eventually sent to the outside and six uh, hits him with a plancher there um an elbow off the middle rope to the apron by six was pretty creative as well um, before Jericho springboards to the outside from the top rope and hits six with a crossbody. And this is when we start getting some Nick Patrick shenanigans. He is slow counting quite clearly when Jericho is going for the pin. The commentary team are jumping all over this and at one point even go as far as to agree amongst themselves to count the next time there is a pinfall attempt and how long it takes Nick Patrick to get down and actually start counting. And they get to six by the time Nick Patrick gets to two. So it's really hammering home to the viewer that this referee is making slow counts before six gets a pinfall attempt in. And it's, if we're being generous, we'll say it's normal speed, but it's a touch quick, isn't it, Danny? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And it's all to do with the um, Nick Patrick storytelling and, and things like that. But yeah. Mm, yes. So six picks up the win there. Uh, we then go back to Mike Tanay again, and he is talking with Lex Luger, who is going to be taking on on Anderson in our next match. And Luger on one hand looks incredible 
as he as he normally did. I mean, Luger was a big body guy, of course. That was a huge part of his gimmick and a huge part of his lifestyle. And it looks like he's not got an ounce of fat on him. He is shredded. And then we look at his hair. I don't know what the hell's going on there. And I have no idea, but I think uh, it just looked very, very dry, didn't it? <laughs> well, the weird thing, what was really strange about this, when I watched this pay-per-view back today for the, for the benefit of our recording, first of all, I was downstairs. So I get to watch it on the big telly, which was nice because my wife was supposed to be busy. But something came up to sort of uh, detour what she was doing. So she ended up making herself a bit of food and sitting and she started watching just a bit of the show, but ended up sitting down for the majority of this pay-per-view with me. And it's interesting getting her comments and feedback as well. Now, Sharon, by trade, uh, is a you know fully trained professional hairdresser. And she says that it looks like Luger has had what they call a blade cut or a razor cut, where they try and cut it roughly and make it look all shaggy and you know that that's the thing they're going for but also luger's hair is incredibly fine and it's bleached to death so it just <laughs> looks it looks fucking it look, just looks shit <laughs> there's no two ways around it really well no definitely um it's it's a it's an odd one isn't it <laughs> it is it is oh dear um on the entrances for our next match then Arn Anderson versus Lex Luger, we get some shots of the gravestones and the Halloween Havoc entrance. We haven't touched upon those yet, and there's a reason I'm bringing it up now, which I'll, I'll speak about in just a moment. But Danny, what did you think of the the entrance way, the graphics, the whole general feel of Halloween Havoc? Because we've got the Slim Jim uh, covering on the ring posts as well. Uh, the graveyard that they're walking through to make their entrances and so what did you think about the whole presentation of this pay-per-view with regards to the appearance of the show it's something that we've uh, talked about before Si where WCW are really really putting in effort I mean you just look at the hog wild um, pay-per-view stage they are really putting in effort they're spending a lot of money on this which I'm loving um just for context we're recording this the day after Money in the Bank 2023. Yes. And on the uh, press conference, um, Triple H addressed, uh, he addressed a comment about the lack of uh, big stages. And he said, just a lazily way of saying, he just said, oh, the crowd is the is the uh, story when it comes to the arena. And I was like, that's so lazy. I mean, here we are in 1996 and WCW had something like this that just had so much effort and all their pay-per-views. And I was like, we can't get that today. But yeah, I absolutely love all of them. You can tell a lot of work, in, a lot of work went into it, couldn't you? Yeah, I think... Oh. To me, saying the crowd is what separates the paper is, is bullshit. That's a cop out. Yes. It's cost. Let's 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 just beat you know beat to the bush. It, it it's cost. That's why they don't do it anymore. The WWE used to have these fantastic stage sets for Armageddon and the yeah. big swinging spike things for Backlash, wasn't it? I think yeah, Backlash and King of the Ring. There was a big throne and all this sort of stuff. Now they looked amazing, but they were used once a year. And they cost a lot of money. And listening to Bruce Pritchard talking on his podcast, they could cost a great deal of money to ship from wherever they are to the arena and back again for one night and then get put away for 12 months. Or 
build a new one from scratch to do that show for the once once a year and away they go again so that's why they they don't do it anymore literally cost because i mean what we've got here with wcw it's 1996 and i think when we look back on 1996 wrestling as we do with this show and we're reviewing the the episodes and and so on we let them get away with certain things because it's 27 28 years old or whatever and uh, as we should because they didn't have the technology back then they didn't have the know-how or production levels back then i guess now if you were to do halloween havoc now i know nxt run it but i'm talking on a bigger scale yeah and you busted out just a couple of green lights and a, a, a curtain for them to walk through as they have here and then just make it a bit dark to be like graveyard-ish. And then some, I don't know what they were, polystyrene or plastic or whatever, gravestones dotted around. With how things have moved on, especially with the in- invent of HD television and then ultimate, uh, you know, ultimate HD or whatever it's called, a UHD or whatever, television as well. It would be very easy for things to look shit. Or to look cheap, regardless of spending, if you spent a bit of money on them, but didn't really heavily invest, it would look cheap and then by proxy make your product look cheap. So, yeah, I can understand where they're coming from with that. But at the same time, they're making so much fucking money. Yeah. Just <laughs> do it, you know? It's, uh, <laughs> now, for the viewer sat at home, you, you've got all the computer graphics, and some of them work. On, on the WWE pay-per-views, I mean, some of them work, some of them don't. I'm not a big fan of the massive cartoon image of Roman Reigns going, ooh, ah, before he comes out. <laughs> I think that's a bit, that doesn't quite work for me, that one. But yeah. the Judgment Day graphics uh, of the guys in the robes and so on, yeah. that looks pretty cool. You know, so it depends on what they do, I guess. But I'm a big fan of individual stage sets. I'm a big fan of each event feeling special. And I mean, last night, for example, it was in the UK. The crowd was different. So it did feel special. But if we book, say, the next pay-per-view or the, the one before, whatever. Say we book a I don't, judgment. Is judgment day still going? I don't know. No, because that's a group now, isn't it? Um, the pay-per-view itself, if, if we booked, oh. I don't bloody know. Give me, a, give me a WWE pay-per-view that's not one of the big four, Danny. What do they run? Backlash. Okay, backlash. Say we book backlash on pay per view. We haven't. So I haven't got the network, which I have. Let's just say for argument's sake, somebody's not got the network, and they book backlash on pay per view. In this country, you're spending fifteen, twenty, twenty five quid, whatever, and then you put it on, and it looks exactly the same as the show you're getting on Monday and Friday nights. Yeah, that would piss me off. Yeah. I would want it to be. I would want it to look different. I would want it to look bigger. I want to have an effort put in because I'm paying the pay per view rate to watch the show that costs me money because it is pay per view. So if it's to look the same as a television program, I'd be a bit disappointed with that. Yeah, but obviously they do all these graphics now. Sorry, you want it to feel special? Yeah, exactly because it's a pay per view, but it's not the way they do things anymore, and I think that's a real shame. Yeah, it really is, mate. And just when you compare it to something like this, 20 plus, well, nearly 30 years ago, um, it's just, yeah. I mean, we're, that's the good thing about this Nitro Nuts. We're going to see a lot more of stages like this. I know that. So mm. we can enjoy it. 
I, I like the Halloween Havoc. I don't know if you've seen it or not. You may well have. But you're, you're going to, obviously. It's a year or two away, but they have a massive inflatable pumpkin. And it's just... Yes the most ridiculous stupid thing i've ever seen but it's brilliant at the same time you know it's <laughs> yeah but yeah I mean, the reason i bring it up here for this match for Arn anderson and lex luger is as they're walking out you can see a gravestone that says rest in peace crockett on it which i thought was a bit on the nose considering you know jim crockett promotions was sold to, to ted turner to become wcw that was quite interesting but there we go no, I missed that completely. That's very interesting. Yeah, one one of them says "rest in peace," and right next to it, it's, there's another one that says "Crockett." So, yeah, I've, I I got a little kick out of that. But <laughs> the match begins with the enforcer on Anderson in control for a period before Lex Luger fires back and shows a bit of passion, a bit of babyface fire, which is nice. And then he press slams on Anderson above his head, which was quite spectacular to see. Lugo works Arn Anderson's back for a while before Arn gets a foothold in the match with a spinebuster. They're both down for a period after this before falling to the outside. Arn throws Lugo into the crowd barrier. We get an abdominal stretch by Arn Anderson, which was so close to the ropes. I was, you know, Arn was using the ropes to assist himself, but he was right in the corner. Why didn't Lex just literally move his foot? A foot six inches whatever to the right and he'd have been at the ropes stuff like yeah. that pisses me off you you think it would be the logical uh, solution wouldn't you <laughs> mm, absolutely ridiculous uh arn goes for his always spectacular ddt but luger counters this with the the you know the, well, the the counter or the escape that i love to see just by holding the top rope so luger so arn sorry takes the back bump whilst luger is holding onto the rope and doesn't go with him love that yeah. We then get a ref bump, which is a shame because I was getting into this at this point. Arn decides to go get a chair. He misses when he slings this at him. And then we get a very slow motion slingshot by Lex Luger sending on Anderson into one of these Slim Jim ring posts. I mean, it was so slow. It was virtually going backwards. This slingshot it was ridiculous. Luger then uses the chair and beats the piss out of Arn Anderson on the outside. This is all going on whilst the referee who has took one of the lightest ref bumps I've ever seen is still selling it in the ring like he'd just been punched by Mike Tyson. <laughs> Luger signals for the rack uh, and then signals for the rack and then Luger signals for the rack and then Luger goes over to the other side of the ring and signals for the rack. And I'm just thinking, for God's sake, Lex, just rack him already, which he does and then gets the win. Um he won't release the rack. He keeps racking on and racking on and racking on before eventually he does let Arn drop to the floor. He leaves victorious. Ric Flair and Jeff Jarrett come out because Arn is apparently hurt. He's put on a stretcher and taken out of the arena. Uh, Arn Anderson at this point in real life is suffering with injuries in regards to his neck and nerve damage and so on, which go on to, to basically end his career, sadly. Yeah. But this is, he's having issues with this at this point. So I'm wondering if this is a method to write him out of television or at least out of the ring for a period. I'm not sure. I'm sure we'll find out in the coming weeks on Nitro Nights here. But Danny, what did you think of this? See, now I'm so glad you said um, you talked about Arn Anderson's injury because his selling in this particular the match was what it was. But the story of this was, my God, Arn Anderson's selling of when he's injured is just impeccable. 
Um, but now I actually know that he actually is injured. So that's why it was so good. But no, it was just fantastic. And the story of these two, because they are still bitterly angry um, at each other over um, the uh, full ball finish. And it's like Lex Luger's got, kind of got his revenge now. Um, where do they go from here? And yeah, I think you're right. I, I can't see Arn Anderson coming back. I don't know if he if he's written off of television completely after this or not, but I can't see him coming back after this. Yeah, it it, it looks like it's a way of writing him off TV for a bit, isn't it? But yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, what follows is an interview with Harlem Heat and. They're obviously getting ready to battle Scott Hall and Kevin Nash in our, I suppose, sub-main event, our secondary main event, whichever it may well be. But we get a, a bit of promo work from everyone involved. I mean, you know, Stevie Ray, Booker T, Sherry, and fucking Colonel Robert Parker. <laughs> uh, and we get the usual heat that they're looking forward to taking on the outsiders and they're going to beat them and all the, the standard stuff. Before we go to another tag contest that has been advertised for the pay-per-view. And it's the Faces of Fear from the Dungeon of Doom, Meng and the Barbarian, taking on the Horseman combination of Mongo McMichael and Chris Benoit. It's explained several times that Flair, Jeff Jarrett, and Arn Anderson are on their way to the hospital, which I thought was a nice touch because it means that Mongo and Benoit are basically on their own, which helps with the finish and what goes on afterwards, Danny, doesn't it? It really does, mate. And this is something I've noticed um, since the NWO have come in, really, um, with WCW, is that WCW are excellent at explaining where a possible friend or a possible link is before the NWO attack. I mean, they did, sort of did this with Dungeon of Doom as well. They would say, like, oh, much man's not here. He's on the beach with some weirdos um, getting drunk or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. um, no, I'm loving this. Uh, this match in particular, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed this because I've just got to know, writing down, it opens with McMichael and Meng just barging into each other for two minutes before... Barbarian and Benoit just absolutely tell the story all throughout the match. Mm. Yeah, I mean, talk us through it, though, my friend. T- tell us about a few other spots you enjoy. Um, your thoughts on Mongo's dropkick would be interesting yeah. as well. Yeah, talk <laughs> us through it, and then, and then when we get to the finish, we'll, we'll dive on into that. Yeah, well, the dro- regarding the dropkick, it's certainly there. I mean, is <laughs> <laughs> not. It's no Chris Benoit dropkick, but you can definitely, t- you have to give credit to Mongo because he's definitely trying his best. I mean, this is one of his, I, th- I believe this is his, I think, about fourth pay-per-view match um, right. or third even at that point. But um, yeah, he's he's coming along slowly. I'm so glad they're keeping him in tag matches. Um, but as I was saying, the story of this is is Chris Benoit and Barbarian, which I'm loving Barbarian's little push he's getting here. Um Meng and Mongo just brawl all over the place. Uh, Mongo whacks Meng with the briefcase uh, near, near towards the ends. But I I wrote down, I, when I saw um, Meng get hit with the briefcase, or the Halliburton, as Tony Schiavone called it, I just didn't buy it because nothing can hurt Meng, can it, really? <laughs> Did you hear that noise, though? Yeah. yeah. My word. That was he, he. He didn't hold back, did he? He proper no, welled no. in with that, with that briefcase. Jeez, um, I liked the 
suplex into a splash by the faces of fear i thought that was quite cool and i also yeah. enjoyed the backdrop where i think it's meng backdropped benoit and the barbarian caught him in midair and turned it into a powerbomb yeah but i'm really starting to enjoy the faces of fear i'm not saying they're you know <laughs> that they're far from being the midnight express of course but the fact that they're a tag team wearing the same color gear and they're working on putting in tag team moves, you know, moves specific to them that work, you know, they're working together as a team for certain moments. I think that's really important in tag team wrestling. Yeah, it, it really is. And we've seen it on Nitro and we've read it on um, Saturday night. These guys are definitely getting um, big main event slots for, so it's really nice that they're in a proper program with, with well, Chris Benoit, who's um, an excellent wrestler, and Mongo McMichael, who's definitely got the size. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, after the finish, I mean, Benoit wins the match with his top rope headbutt. After the finish, it, a big fight kind of breaks out, and Sullivan, Big Bubba, and um, Conan, the guys from Dungeon of Doom who had supposedly just sat there having a bit of popcorn trying to enjoy the show. They jump the crowd barricade, get involved as well. And it's basically a beat down of the horsemen. And then we get some interactions between Sullivan and woman. And he he's targeting woman to to say some stuff that doesn't really make sense in the context of things at the moment. But I'm sure hopefully this will, will go somewhere. But he's talking about just reminding you and him pointing at Benoit I'm still the man and all this sort of stuff very interesting and the fact that they spoke about it on commentary as well that Sullivan was targeting women with some of his rants and, and some of his comments I find very interesting yeah yeah it's very I mean you look at that in hindsight it's definitely something uh, we're going to be talking about in the future mm. yes indeed indeed uh, we head back to Ted DiBiase, who is there to run his mouth a little bit more before making the introduction to Hall and Nash, the Outsiders. And I suppose we're heading now into our two final matches. And the really, the reasons we're here, I think. These are the two. that They're top of the card for a reason, Danny, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. I mean, these are what the pay-per-view's been building around. Um, yeah, these are the, the main guys of the NWO. Mm, indeed indeed uh, we have harlem heat defending the wcw world tag team titles against the outsiders and the first thing i noticed is how massive every single one of these guys are they are huge aren't they <laughs> they're giant they're absolutely monsters and the thing i i just got a laugh out of this um was the crowd just chanting very loudly diesel and razor chants still yeah <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, there was an interesting point um, the other night I was watching uh, WWE dropped a load of um, Superstars episodes from yeah October 90, October to December 96 and they're still using um, the fake Re Razor and Diesel on like, in main events and stuff do you think that that had an influence on why Hall and Nash are getting these chants in WCW side? Um, I don't know. I, hmm, what a question. Um, I wouldn't have thought so. I think if we don't have fake razor and fake diesel, 
I still think certain crowds are going to chant Razor and Diesel at Hall and Nash regardless. Yeah. Because that was obviously what they were most famous in their careers for. I think you're still going to get that reaction. And the WWF at the time when Hall and Nash were there, and, you know, before they left in, in May of 96. Okay, ratings and, and popularity and, and, you know, the money they were making, all the important stuff was in the toilet. Let's, let's just be clear about that. But the whole wrestling business was that way in 95 and 96. To wrestling fans who were still watching, Diesel was your world champion on the other channel for the best part of a year. And Scott Hall, as Razor Ramon, was your intercontinental champion. And he had the, the, the famous stuff with Michaels and the one, two, three kid and all this sort of stuff. So they were really prominent on the other channel. Now you look at the rest of the NWO currently. I mean, Hogan's Hogan. He's, he's a different kettle of fish altogether, of course. But you look at the guys they've added to the NWO, the likes of Virgil or Vincent, uh, Ted DiBiase, who hasn't wrestled since 93, I believe. Yeah. And you know, guys like that. They well six as well. I mean, he was the one, two, three kid, but he was always, you know, he was part of the clique for want of a better turn of phrase. But he was never on the level of a hall or a diesel or anyone like that. It is these two that were hugely prominent and popular, and at a time when the business wasn't doing too well, quite successful on the other station. I think fake razor and fake diesel is kind of irrelevant when it comes to crowds chanting the WWF names at these two guys in WCW, just because of how, how big they were on the other station before they came across here. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the NWO duo take the belts at the beginning of the match and hold them up and they get huge cheers and this, again, comes back to the, the sort of ongoing conversation you and I have been having, Danny, that the original premise of the NWO is they're bad guys, but they're so cool, they get cheered. You have Harlem Heat here, who are majority of the time supposed to be a heel tag team. But here, they're trying, WCW would prefer them to be cheered because they're wrestling the NWO. But they're still getting they get some cheers, but some boos because the NWO is so popular. It's quite, a, it's a huge mishmash, uh, a, a sort of a bit of a messy situation with regards to to crowd reactions, isn't it? But I don't think it really matters as long as they are reacting in some way. But I can understand how people like Bobby Heenan found it difficult calling a match with different roles and different crowd reactions and who's he supposed to be supporting and not and, and so on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally do, mate. And it's something that has influenced um, fans to, to this day. I mean, even last night, some of the some a heel like um, LA Knight uh, is, is supposed to be a heel, but he's getting massive babyface chance. Um, yeah, he's 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 a star, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. Um, and it's just and well i could say he's a heel now but he was basically turned face by the fans if he is a baby face it's hard to tell sometimes but um i know he started out as a heel at the beginning of this year and the fans kind of took him and is one of their own and it's kind of the same here where um the nwo is supposed to be bad guys but yeah the fans are just like nah we're buying your merch we're listening to those adverts that you put on nitro and we're actually buying the stuff and yeah, you're one of us. And I think that's um, 
I'm just wondering, had that been done before the NWRSI, where uh, heels were chanted to this degree? Um, how do you mean, where heels were getting cheered? Like, um, say, like a, a an invading faction, um, say the Four Horsemen or something, were, were they uh, um, chanted loudly in arenas, or were they actually booed? Um, it, it depends on the scenario. Yeah. The horsemen back in the Crockett days, when they were kind of at their peak, I guess, creatively, you know, sort of mid eighties, they were they were hated. But it was because of how popular the baby faces were that they were facing. And in some cases, the horsemen being so hated created the baby face. Uh this goes for Sting and Lex Luger, who at one stage were both in the Horsemen and then left. And then because of that, became crazy popular, huge baby faces because they were then battling with the Horsemen. And that's what got them over uh, to the level where they they kind of were main eventing shows with Flair and so on. So the fact that the Horsemen were so hated and they drew that incredible amount of heel heat was hugely important to to Crockett and so on back in the day. I mean, Dusty was a big adversary of theirs as well, and his popularity played a huge role in the horsemen being hated the way they were. And, of course, you then play into this sort of thing, don't you, with with having the popular guy, Dusty, you know, having his you know, bones broken and so on by the horsemen. And, and that's how you, you know, that that's the simple side of the wrestling business, isn't it? The storytelling, if you've yeah. got somebody who's hated somebody who's liked and putting them together and so on. I'm still a big fan of that. I, my mindset is incredibly old school. I appreciate that. And it's the wrestling business changes all the time. And it's a different business now to how it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, for whatever. But I, the big thing for me is with regards to the wrestling business is that it's exactly that it's the wrestling business. You're there to make money as a company, as an individual and so on. And it's the same as movies, TV shows and so on. You need a hero to cheer for. You need a heel or a bad guy or a villain to boo. You need the story of why these two are facing off. And then that you need some kind of, it, big issues or bumps in the road for the good guy to overcome before eventually vanquishing the villain. And that's what the WWF did incredibly well with Hogan throughout the run of his his prime in the 80s and so on. And the, the WWF was very much a babyface territory. So he would, a babyface would be champion and he'd have regular heels coming up and challenging him. Whereas Crockett and various other territories were more of a, what you call a heel territory that the, the champion was a heel and you know, especially the NWA, the touring champion would be a heel and he would go around and make babyface challengers in different territories and so on. I still believe that that's the wrestling business stripped right back is, is what the crux of it and what will yeah. always work the best. Yeah. With regards to the NWO being cheered as baby faces, yes, it made WCW a fuck ton of money. So from the wrestling business standpoint, that's fantastic. But eventually, when you've not got baby faces to cheer for, who do you root for? You're literally yeah. running out of baby faces, you know? And we'll yeah. come to that with, with Savage in the main event shortly. But 
if well everyone knows the result of what happens in the main event anyway savage loses and hogan retains the title so you've got the nwo controlling the the majority of the belts here and they go up they go from strength to strength to strength to strength people start cheering for them but then when the nwo runs out of steam which inevitably it always does because things in wrestling as in the same in movies and life and so on if it's done over and over again it becomes stale if you've not got the good guy to cheer for, where do you go? Yeah. And the way you make the good guy for you to cheer for is to have the bad guys to boo. Yes. Yeah. You can't have one without the other, which we'll come to again shortly with, with the surprise at the end of the pay-per-view and, and so on. And I think that wrestling back in the day, I suppose in a very long-winded roundabout way to answer your question, Danny, I apologize, but ah. wrestling back in the day, it, with regards to the horseman, you using the horseman as an example, you didn't get those shades of grey that McMahon and Bischoff discussed. It was literally black and white. It was good guy versus bad guy. So it was quite prominent that you know if you if they were acting like heels, people booed them. You didn't tend to get babyface reactions for bad guys so much. Probably until the NWO, to be fair, yeah. and Austin as well, I guess Austin as well. Um, you, you you had it with individuals. You had it with some tactic, whatever, where they wanted them to be booed, but they get cheered. Or what was more likely was that you'd have certain people back in those days that they were desperate. You know, the booking committee or the booker or the company promotion, whatever, would be desperate for you to cheer because they had plans for them, but they just didn't link or relate to the audience and got booed, and they had to do something about that. But I think that's something that we've seen in pro wrestling for a long, long time because it's incredibly difficult, I think, to be... It's incredibly difficult to be a successful good guy in wrestling and get the cheers, especially modern day because of how wrestling works now. Yeah. And even going back to the territory days and, and the Crockett days and so on, there were people they wanted to be baby faces where it didn't work and they ended up having to turn them heel and so on. So I, I don't nothing jumps to my mind with regards to heel wrestlers getting cheered more than the baby faces, unless you had that issue where the, the baby face wasn't getting over. But yeah, here yeah. we're talking, here we're talking guys who are in the main events and are already over with their audience getting booed because the bad guys are so popular. It's to me, it's the, that the cool heel, thing is kind of born with the nwo for me it's kind of where it to my memory anyway i'd I'd have to go back and do a bit more research reading up looking back on things but just off the top of my head i think that's kind of that is kind of where this was born i think yeah yeah totally makes a lot of sense i mean you had some people that would cheer the horsemen of course because that's just the nature nature of how things was you know and and so on but then you always had a group of wrestling fans who hated hogan regardless even back in the 80s when he was huge you'd have a certain group of wrestling fans very very small group of wrestling fans who wouldn't be hogan fans because they wanted wrestling back the way it was and but you get that with every generation i suppose but to me the cool heel and the heels being cheered it probably does really especially on a massive national scale it does start with the nwo i think yeah but there we go. Sorry to that massive detour. I apologise there. <laughs> no, no, at all. No, I'm loving it. Um, as I said, that the match begins with the NWO taking the belts, posing with them to cheers. Uh, Scott Hall is sent to the outside. Harlem Heat are in control, Danny, aren't they, for, for a big portion of the early match? 
They really are, mate. And it's such a shame because um, as they're battering like National Hall and stuff like that, the fans just get up and look to the right. Um, sorry, to the left. Mm-hmm. And um, the announcers speculate that somebody's running in. And at that point, and I'm just like, oh, who's running in? But it just turns out there was a fight in the crowd. And it was yeah. like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, apparently there was a big fight in the crowd. Yeah. And um, yeah, but... you can see Scott Hall walking over to Kevin Nash and literally for like only about five seconds stopping the match so we can see what's going on, which I thought was quite <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they're absolutely chucking each other with power moves, massive side slams, massive backbreakers. Um, just Stevie Ray throwing um, Scott Hall onto Kevin Nash was quite the sight as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty spectacular. I mean, the, the, we get a bit of spitting as well. You know, <laughs> Scott Hall spits on Stevie Ray. I'm fairly certain Stevie Ray gobs on somebody else at, at one stage. We don't need that shit. Cut it out, lads. You know? Um <laughs> I know you. I know you're supposed to be bad guys, and you're supposed to be trying to get your heat or whatever. But come on, have a word. Um, <laughs> the outsiders end up in control of Booker T for quite a while, don't they? And we Booker does start a fight back at one point, which includes trying to uh, hit Scott Hall with a cross body block. But Scott Hall catches Booker T. And bear in mind, Booker T is a massive fella. Booker T must be six five, six six, and you know what would he be? Two sixty something like that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, Scott Hall catches him in midair and turns it into a four-away slam. Holy shit! How strong is that guy? The, I mean, these two teams are totally in their prime at this point. It was it was brilliant stuff, wasn't it? Really, really good match. I really enjoyed this. Uh, eventually, we get some shenanigans and people getting involved. Sherry gets involved, and Colonel Parker is loitering about it as well. Scott Hall gives Sherry a quite forceful snog in a, in a sort of Hogan-esque manner or even Ric Flair-esque manner where Sherry is trying to slap him and he grabs her and just forces a kiss upon her. So I'm assuming in 1996, sexual assault was okay on live pay-per-view. I don't know. Well, um, do, do you remember when, uh, I think it was 2012 or 14, um, where Ric Flair uh, forcefully kissed Becky Lynch outside and the internet just blew up for about half of half of a week and uh, Ric Flair oh, was just cancelled everywhere. <laughs> I, I don't understand, to be honest, with, with all the stuff with Flair, and again, I'm a big Flair mark, but yeah. all the stuff you hear about Flair, how has he still, how has he rode all of this out? The guy, <laughs> the guy's had like 97 wives. He's been declared <laughs> bankrupt at least 50 times. <laughs> He's constantly getting drunk and being obnoxious to just members of the public. He has his podcast now, and he's had other podcasts as well, of course, with different hosts, where he goes on these mad rants that make no sense whatsoever or are just kind of made up. And he does all sorts of stuff that we hear about with regards to women and, and, and well, that, that whole thing with on the airplane and all. But yeah, he's still there. He's like a cockroach. He just doesn't seem to just. I'm not saying he should because I'm, again, I'm a big Flair fan, but it doesn't seem to matter what Flair does. He just never gets cancelled does he <laughs> it's uncancelable <laughs> yeah there you go i don't understand it he just survives everything he just constantly rides it and then the next thing you know you see him in some ridiculous suit smoking weed with snoop dogg or some shit and, and everything's okay again it's so weird and he's back on wwe tv the next week after that <laughs> yeah it's i don't ah oh, 
the guy just he's Teflon man nothing can touch him I'm not saying that's right or wrong it's just the way it seems to be but yeah, there we go definitely. Uh, eventually we get the Harlem hangover which still looks spectacular to this day a man that size doing a forward flip leg drop off the top rope is insane uh, Kevin Nash tries to get in the ring Colonel Parker gets in the ring as well Nash grabs Colonel Parker and basically says to him, can I have your cane, please? Doesn't forcibly take it off him or anything like that. He just asks for the cane. And uh, (laughs) Colonel Parker says no. Nash looks a bit more threatening. And Parker's like, oh, shit, take it then. Whatever, dude, that's yours. And jumps down and runs off. Kevin Nash then wallops Stevie Ray with the cane a couple of times. He was not holding back with that one bit. Uh, like I said, Colonel Parker has ran away. He's left Sherry, left his team, and so on. The absolute chicken shit. And <laughs> Hall drapes an arm over the caned Stevie Ray to win the tag team titles. And the crowd are hot. Some are cheering, some are booing, but they are all reacting one way or another. And there is heat. And this, I thought, was fucking brilliant. What did you think, Danny? Loved everything about this. Um, and I mean, for months upon months now, so at least over a year now, we've been talking about, oh, you know what? Um, Colonel Robert Parker just doesn't fit in with this new version of um, Harlem Heat. Now it looks like we're finally, I'm hoping that this is the end of Colonel Rob Parker. Um, that was a big bonus. So him running away means that that, that might be over. But in terms of the match, just fantastic. Um Excellent. I mean, we all knew going in, even before I knew the result, I was like, there's no way that NWO are going to lose this on mm-hmm. the momentum they're on. Um, but the fact that they just had so much excellent moves and stuff like that and all the storytelling, fantastic all round. Yeah. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's such a good match. Really, really good stuff. And it's not just a good match. But the opener between Mysterio Jr. and Malenko was a fantastic wrestling match. And yeah it was a fantastic wrestling match for what they did between the ropes and, and the actual wrestling itself. This was a great wrestling match because of the story attached to it and all the shenanigans. Got. I mean, sometimes you can have managers interfering and foreign objects and people at ringside who have got, Oh, whose side are they on and all this sort of stuff. And it can be overbooked and it can take away from the match and, and water it down and it's it becomes a bit of a mess just full of silly shenanigans and all sorts. Here, all the outside stuff, all the craziness and, and the interference from managers and weapons and so on, it was done well because it added to the match rather than took away from it. And I, I, I loved this. I thought this was just brilliant pro wrestling. Yeah, really well done. That then takes us, Danny, to our main event of the evening, as Michael Buffer tells us, earning his ridiculously fat wedge for the night. He is out, and Hogan is cutting a promo in the crowd from the, I don't know how to word it, NWO perch, balcony, steps, I'm I'm not sure. He is with DBRC cutting a promo there. But he looks a little bit different, doesn't he? What did you think about this look with Hogan? He certainly does, and I'm just wondering where he got that wig because I might need one in about five years. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sharon, but, again, I'm sorry, yeah. again, I watched this with Sharon, and she yeah. said, "Is Hogan wearing a wig?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, keep watching, see what happens. It's funny." <laughs> but sorry, go on. You're gonna say? 
<laughs> no, um, I just I thought Hulk Hogan looked ridiculous, um, and I know he's he looks ridiculous anyway, but this was a new level. But um, obviously, he, we know why he's doing this is um, it's part of the storyline with Macho Man with the spray painting of the hair and everything and the bald spot and stuff. But um, in I thought. In terms of Macho Man's look, we talked. We had a long conversation last week, side where um, we talked about Macho Man's attire. This is my favorite ring attire of, or entrance and ring attire of Macho Man, because you could tell he really went out of his way to have this made in a Halloween style orange pumpkin um, colors. He just looked, he looked the bollocks. I to steal your phrase. <laughs> and he had snap into it written all over himself as again another reference to slim jim as well didn't he yeah yeah he just looked brilliant um and and if you compare him to hulk hogan who just looked kind of ridiculous with that silly wig and bandana and everything like that um yeah just fantastic stuff the wig as well it's all it's all part of this movie he'd just been doing wasn't it he had to have a hairpiece for that i think <laughs> yeah it, yeah so there we it go. just wasn't a good look for the hulk star no it was not it was not and <laughs> it it was interesting as well hearing tony Schiavone point out that it looks a little bit like a haircut that sting used to have a while back so i was like, okay that's not <laughs> random at all tony but thanks a lot for that um <laughs> When Savage comes out, he gets to the side of the entranceway, I suppose, and signals to this shadowy corner of the the entrance to the arena, and then signals again, and signals <laughs> again, because in true WCW fashion, somebody's not got their timing correct. But eventually, the monster truck makes an appearance, and it's massive, it's garish, it's over the top, it's got a sodding great match on Randy Savage hat on it. It's the most stupid thing ever, and I loved it. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> I don't know where to put it if I had one, but yeah, I loved it. <laughs> the match begins with Hogan being an absolute heel bastard. It's loads of stalling, loads of messing yeah. around, taking his time. And the crowd are really into this, even though Hogan and Savage have basically done nothing, which I think shows shows the level of storytelling that has gone into this to get that reaction from the two of them basically doing nothing for the first five minutes yeah well said mate it felt like i think it was about eight minutes before they actually touched okay. um they were well before hulk hogan got the um the headlock in it was like wow that just um almost on a, a smaller scale to the um when hollywood hogan wrestled the rock where they just stood around the ring and the crowd was already sold and invested before they even touched as well it was sort of like that's what it reminded me of, and um, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, and it kind of like I loved that the uh, referee um, threw out the giant beforehand, but he didn't throw out Ted DiBiase. <laughs> well, no, there you go, and there's an argument you can make for that because back in the day, you used to have to have a manager's or agent's license to be ringside. Yeah. So I wonder if DiBiase has his manager's license. He seems like he would be the guy to have one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got Wall Street to print it for him on the sly or something. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, the match itself is a whole lot of nothing, isn't it? Let's let's you know cut to the chase. There's a lot of um, 
chair shots. Um, Liz comes out eventually. Hogan spends a lot of time hiding behind Liz before shoving her into Savage. There's a lot of stuff on the outside running around and so on. Um, and we'll get to the finish in a moment because it is a whole lot of, of, of nothing, isn't it, to meet this match, Danny? It's but, what Chris Bears would describe as a walking brawl, which is just yeah. a lot of stalling, um, both of them just kind of hitting a move and then kind of doing nothing for a couple of minutes and then doing another little like, headlock or something. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But again, if you've already got the crowd on your side, yeah. you know, what'd you, what, why would you need to do anything else? These guys got to work again tomorrow night. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, if, you, if you start losing the crowd, uh, again, this to me is is the uh, the real talent and the art to certain pro wrestlers. If you start losing the crowd, that's when you can amp it up and start doing something different and get them back invested again. But if they're already invested, I mean, I'm not saying that they should go through the motions and not entertain. Of course not, because people have paid their money. But at the same time, you can... I think the term is, you know, you've only got so many notches on your bump card. I think I'm probably yeah. worded that incorrectly, but it's, um, it's, you know, there's only there's a certain number on your bump card or something like that. So why yeah. not save those for another night if you don't need to use them? Oh, yeah, definitely. If it's, if it's still entertaining enough. And uh, this match, again, like I said, there's a whole lot of nothing. But I still find myself unable to look away because it comes back to the storytelling aspect, I think. Absolutely. And also the commentary um, telling us the story and reminding us and having us ask questions as well. Is Liz there? Is Liz, isn't Liz there? And then when she turns up, um, it got quite a reaction, didn't it? It did. It did. In a crazy dress as well. <laughs> she looked She looked across between a cheerleader's pom-pom and a piñata. Yeah. You know, all these colours and tassels and these insane shoulder pads as well that made... You know, it, it made her seem like a foot wider than she actually was. You yeah. know, but I mean, see, she still looked fantastic, though. I mean, she was a gorgeous lady, let's be honest. But yeah, that dress was pretty crazy. Um, before we get to the finish, we need to address the big comedy spot, I think. Yeah. And I'm going to be intrigued to hear what you say, what you say about this. Hogan's wig. Savage grabs the top of his head, ready to throw a punch, hits Hogan. Hogan goes down, but his hair stays in Randy's hand. What did you think of this? I loved it um, because it's just, it's it's 19, you could probably say 1950s, 1960s comedy from Hulk Hogan because fair enough, like he's supposed to be this evil villain and like this dangerous guy. But I loved the, that he took a little break from that and did like almost like three stooges selling and was like yeah. kind of cartoonish a little bit with his selling of like, Oh, like when he grabbed his head and he looked back at Macho Man and realised that he had the wig, he was like, ah, and his facial expressions. Um, I love that little bit in there because it was a nice little break from um, the vicious Hollywood Hogan we've been seeing for the last um, couple of months. Um, what did you think about it, Si? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. it I, I, I just fucking roared. I've seen it before, <laughs> but again, it shows how funny it is because I roared yeah. with laughter seeing it again. It was bloody brilliant. <laughs> Loved it, mate. And when Savage put the wig on himself, so he's got that crazy... <laughs> I mean, Savage's hair basically grows sideways, doesn't it? It doesn't grow yeah. down, it grows out. And then he's got that blonde thing on top. Oh, it was such a look. That was yeah. just gold. It was really, really good stuff. Um, <laughs> we then get, I suppose, a couple of moving parts with regards to the finish, don't we? Because yeah. we have Elizabeth getting involved. 
Hogan has a foreign object that he has got from Dibiase, which we never really get told what it is, but it looks like some kind of white spike thing. I'm not 100% sure what it is, Danny, to be fair. Did you make any yeah. No, I couldn't make it out. I just uh, noted down to a foreign object. Yeah, maybe it's a rolling pin or something. I don't know. And um, <laughs> Liz is in the ring at this point as well. We get a ref bump. Liz takes the object from Hogan, gets it to Savage, I think, at one point. The ref, the ref bump leads to Nick Patrick coming out with other referees as well, but Nick Patrick is the head referee, so he tells all the refs to go away. He's going to take charge, which I thought was a nice little story arc, story moment there. Uh, Savage hits an elbow drop from the top rope, with DiBiase trying to grab his feet. I think he's missed his cue there. I think he's gone a bit early because of what happens shortly. Nick Patrick counts to two before grabbing his neck in agony as as you know a three count is obviously going to take place. Hogan is out because Savage has used the foreign object. And I thought this was great by Nick Patrick. One, two, the crowd are about to go mental for the three count. Grabs his neck, can't make the three count. Everyone's moaning and groaning. Uh, <laughs> Savage ends up getting up attacking or shouting at nick patrick at least uh, strips him of his neck brace and opens his shirt up goes to the top rope again for the elbow dibiase interferes again so, so savage then drops to the outside to chase dibiase the giant is then out and it's, it's all getting a bit crazy now a bit messy the giant is then out he choke slams savage on the outside throws him into the ring for Nick Patrick to count Savage down for the three count and Hogan retains the title. Whew. Have I missed anything? No, not a thing, mate. That's what I wrote down as well. <laughs> there was a lot, but it's just all about storytelling. Mm, it's too much for me. It's, there's a lot. The foreign object, Liz in and out the ring, Dibiase in and out the ring, and a giant is thrown out and comes back. The foreign object is with Hogan, then with Savage, the ref bump. It's, I, I appreciate they're trying to really get Hogan over as this this evil heel character, and you know, and, and rightfully so. But there's too much going on here. The ref bump and Nick Patrick would have been enough. You know, that, that would yeah. have been enough. The foreign object on its own would have been enough. Uh, the giant sneaking down and choke slamming Savage on its own would have been enough. Yeah. I mean, obviously, because of the whole Nick Patrick story we're going with, him not being able to make the three count is is part of the story arc you need to keep in place. But all of it taking place in the space of a few minutes, it's it's too much, isn't it? For me, anyway. Yeah, I, I could see that point as well. But um, I loved the fact that there was like five different things going on because now Macho Man has quite a lot to um, not complain about because he's a baby face, but he has the fans feel justified that it took that much to uh, for Hulk Hogan to kind of use everything he could under the sun to get mm. a win over the Macho Man. So it kind of like doesn't make the Macho Man look weak at all. Yeah. Yeah. Fair shake. Fair shake. Uh, and that's kind of where you think the show is going to go off air. Yeah. But we have a little bit more. The giant comes down with 
what looks like a football trophy or something. It's a big metal vase with a stand. It, it's a big old trophy of some description full of ice water, which he throws over Hogan and Hogan very comically is woken up from this. I mean, I, I don't see, I don't get that. I understand they're trying to wake Hogan up, but you know, it seemed a bit overkill for me because that was a massive old tub of water. That was, um, I put it down to, I just chalked up to last year, Hulk Hogan killed um, the giant. And this year, the giant has to give Hulk Hogan life or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Last year, Hogan killed the giant. But he, <laughs> but he got better. Um, <laughs> fair enough, mate. I like the way you can try and struggle on to make sense of that. Um <laughs> <laughs> Hogan takes the mic and is basically talking about how fucking wonderful he is and so on. Yeah. And then we hear some bagpipes, Danny. What were you thinking at this point? I thought there's only one guy with bagpipes around this era. And it, it took the announcers quite a while to uh, figure out who it was or not to not try to spoil who it was. Um, and I was just thinking... No way. This early, because I always thought Roddy Piper came in um, around Starcade time. Um, okay. Yeah, like, that was just my general thing. I was like, maybe he would come in a few weeks before Starcade in December. I had no idea he came in at Halloween Havoc. Um, so this all was brand new to me as soon as he walked out. He had that iconic um, kilt on, and uh, he just... He looked fantastic, to be honest, Roddy Piper did. Um, there was always... I, th- I forgot what wrestling website did this study about him. It said whenever he had a break away from wrestling, he came back look- looking better than ever. Right, um, okay. And yeah, Piper just looked fantastic here. And, I mean, we're going to get into the whole segment, but yeah, I've loved um, seeing Roddy Piper come come into WCW here. Yeah, it was good. It was, Well... This bit was good. Yeah. This bit was good. Uh, Piper arriving was excellent. Hogan's reaction, it was like he'd seen a ghost. And it, Hogan yeah. sold it perfectly. It was brilliant. Piper pulls a microphone out from his jacket, starts talking. And, and the initial exchanges I enjoy because yeah. we have basically Piper saying, you're bored, are you? Well, <laughs> I'm here to break your boredom, which I thought was a nice line. And Hogan tries to suck up to Piper a little bit, saying, when I said that I'm the icon, I created wrestling, I really meant you and me together and all this sort of stuff. We then get what I... I mean, I'm a big Piper fan. Loved so much of what Piper did in his career. But there is this other side of him where he never really did anything scripted. Mm. And a lot of the time it would work because he was a great performer. But there are also many instances where it doesn't work because he loses his way and he has certain things he wants to say. Maybe he's been given bullet points as well by WCW or Bischoff or whoever that he has to touch upon. So he's trying to get certain things in, but also he goes on this kind of rambling, long-winded... It's not even a promo. I don't even know what he was doing. And... (laughs) Hogan, like I said, Hogan was sucking up to him a bit. 
But then Piper comes back with, I'm just as big an icon as you. I'm just as big a Hollywood star as you. And then he says, I'm shooting with this one. I'm a millionaire as well. And it's like, people aren't going to cheer you if you're telling them how rich you are. <laughs> that was a really strange one. But it just goes on yeah. and on and yeah. on. And Hogan tries to try, tries to close it off a few times, tries to you know mm. end the segment a few times. But Piper won't let him. He's like, I'm not finished. I'm not finished. To the point where in the end, Hogan even gets out of the ring and it's just like, yeah, tala, I'm done with this. Then he gets back in the ring because Piper's picked up the world title. And it just... For such a cool moment, for the bagpipes playing, Hogan's selling was incredible to seeing Piper. And then Piper come into the ring. It fell off a cliff so quickly for me. And I'm, I'm a big fan of wrestlers being allowed to express themselves. And there's a lot of criticism for scripted promos, especially in WWE for many years, where wrestling promos are scripted to the point where it's everyone talks the same way. It's, you know, they have that similar sort of beat, that dun, 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 pause for the crowd, dun, 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 dun. Everyone talks the same way and so on. I'm a big fan of wrestlers being able to express themselves and scripted promos restrict that. This here is a bloody great advert for why scripted promos came into wrestling. <laughs> yeah, totally, mate. Um, I know exactly what you were talking about when you was uh, speaking about Roddy Piper uh, going off script a couple of times. There was always that incident from um, TNA where he just showed up randomly and started rambling about um, the wrestlers that had passed away. And it was all unscripted. And he started blaming uh, Vince Russo for killing Owen Hart and, and stuff. And it, it just ages terribly. Um, mm. And I, I feel like similar, I mean, to a less extreme degree, this did as well, because I, how would you have booked this, sir? Like, how would you have booked Roddy Piper coming in at the end mm. of Halloween Havoc? I think there were moments of it that were inspired, that were in, yeah. that were fantastic. The line that comes from Piper about, do you remember WrestleMania? You know, the birth of Hulkamania, yeah. WrestleMania 1, and how the WWF really got going and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Do you remember WrestleMania? And he says to Hogan, you didn't make all these people wrestling fans. All these people made you. Yeah. Which goes against exactly what Hogan said in his promo at Bash at the Beach when he turned heel. So that was a real nice tie-in for me. That was really good motivation for Piper being there and so on. Piper then goes on with a, a fantastic line of, do you think they would have cheered for you so much if they didn't hate me as much as they did? And right. it comes back to that whole conversation we had a, a while ago, actually, when you asked about you know heels being cheered in the past and so on, and how having the heated heel makes the baby face more popular and, and all that sort of stuff. And that's exactly what happened. Piper was the most hated guy in wrestling, mainstream or at least one of those hate guys in wrestling, around that time, 84, 85, and so on. The Rock and Wrestle cartoon, the Hulk Hogan cartoon, Piper was the villain in the cartoon to Hogan's good guy. Uh, and, you know, that, that whole movement, the whole kicking off of, of sports entertainment as we now know it, yeah. stemmed from McMahon 
having the promotion and the ideas and Hogan working with McMahon as the babyface and so on. But Piper was the antagonist. Piper was the bad guy that gave Hogan that, that, that villain to overcome. And then when Piper turns around and says, you never beat me. That's a great hook. Yeah, that's that's brilliant because you've got Hogan who is running rough shot over WCW. Uh, people, by the time he turned heel, were sick of him because he was winning all the time. And then you've got this babyface turning up from the past who's already got name value. He's already got main event quality to his name, to, to his name, his brand and his stature in the business. Turn around and going, you never beat me. There's your hook. And there's yeah. how you literally just from that, that's how you build your match. That's how you then escalate over the next few weeks building to the next pay-per-view or Starcade or however you want to do it. That's kind of what I would have done. Yeah. You know, but also I, I, that's, that's what I would have done here with what they do. They come to the ring and they got so much talking time on on the mic and so on. I don't even think you need that. You know, I've been quite happily had Piper's music hit him walk slowly to the ring Hogan sell it like he's seen a ghost. The Giants in the ring as well. He could sell it also. I mean, Hall and Nash, they're, they're out of the way at this point. But you could have had Vincent in there, Diviossi in there. Piper gets in the ring. The NWO scatter and run. And you go off air with Piper stood in the ring, just pointing at Hogan. Doesn't say a word. Hogan looking terrified. Go off air there. Instantly, you want to watch Nitro next night. Instantly, you want to hear what's, you know, you got the commentators yelling, why is Roddy Piper here? And all this sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. Hogan looks like he's seen a ghost. And then you can have the promo of, do you think they would have cheered for you so much if they didn't hate me so much and you never beat me on Nitro the following night? And you can build, and that's your hook to me. Yeah. That, that's your cliffhanger, for want of a better phrase, using, using a TV term. That's kind of how I probably would have done it. Yeah. But, at the same time, I understand with a lot of WCW pay-per-views that the end of the match doesn't tend to be the end of the show. Whether yeah. we go to Bischoff or Shivani or whatever, or we have people cutting promos in the ring, that's kind of how WCW always did it. So I can understand why they went down this road, but my goodness, it ended up a mess, didn't it? <laughs> it really did, mate. And um, yeah, uh, I, d- I did get a, a kick out of Roddy Piper keep referring to the giant as Sprout. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of treating him as like a, a kid and just um the giant just selling it like um looking offended. But the fact that we went off with um Tony Giovanni repeatedly saying, Okay, we're ready to go now. We'll see you next week, oh, we'll see you tomorrow night and and then Roddy Piper kept rambling on and on and on until the camera cut off. Yeah. Um, Shivani literally just going, we've run out of time. We've got to go. We've got to go. We're, we're off air. We've got, it just, it, it just showed how it just didn't follow any plot or script or idea they had. It just turned into a rambly mess. And it's a shame because it could have been such a great moment. Yeah. I mean, it still yeah. was, to be fair, that the reveal of Piper being there is still a great moment. Yeah. But it could have been so much more. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, there we go, mate. There we go. Ah, so that concludes Halloween Havoc 1996. I am looking forward to getting into 
the TV that follows this, with Piper and I being there, the Outsiders holding tag gold, where's Sting, and all that great stuff. Really looking forward to diving into that. But before we get into any of that, we need to give our final ratings and final thoughts on this show with our woos and our brothers, our positives and our negatives. Brother, 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 brothers, brother, brother. Danny, first or second, my friend? I'll go first this week, right? You crack on. So with the woo, it would definitely be the moment of Roddy Piper showing up, um, at least until he got into the ring. And like you said, there were some moments like him mentioning WrestleMania and the fans wouldn't love you so much if they didn't hate me so much. Like, we would have kept those in. But the fact that I was watching this and um, after the uh, the finish came, I saw, I looked at the uh, how much time was left. I'm thinking, oh, I'm doing another angle here, but I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe Macho Man's going to be beat down, but he wasn't at all. Uh, Roddy Piper came out. So yeah, that would be my woo, mate. How about you? Uh, my woo is the opener, Dimalenko versus Rey Mysterio. Um, it narrowly beat the Outsiders versus, um, oh, bloody hell. Harlem Heat. That's it. So I don't know why my mind went blank there. That was crazy. Proper <laughs> little brain fart. But yeah, the Outsiders versus Harlem Heat was was really entertaining. I loved all of that. But Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio. Holy crap, that was so good. That was so good. So that's got to be my woo this week. What about your negative, Bird? What about your old brother? My negative would be how um, the pay-per-view just closed off like with um, Roddy Piper just screaming at Hulk Hogan. The last line you actually hear is Roddy Piper saying, let me tell you something. I'll tell you something. And then it just cuts off. So now we're like, oh, what was he going to say? I would love, I mean, I've talked about this before with you, side, but somewhere has to, I know the cameras were still rolling um, after this. This footage has to exist somewhere in the WWE archives, but the fact that we haven't, they they do it sometimes with Nitros where they say, oh, this is an extra little bit of Nitro or Raw. I would have loved to have seen the end of this segment. Um, well, maybe we'll see more. Around, maybe yeah. we'll see more on Nitro. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. going to hold oh, my yeah. breath. Good point, actually. Yeah, after this, I'm actually going to watch that Nitro. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, maybe we will actually. Yeah, so I'll hold my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to hold my breath that that will happen, but who knows? Who knows? <laughs> and mine is very similar. Mine, my old brother this week, is the rambling Piper Hogan finish. I mean, even Hogan tried to get the guy to wrap up. Even Hogan, who loves the sound of his own voice, was basically trying to get out of the ring and be like, yeah, we need to stop now. I imagine Bischoff backstage was going crazy with this shit. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but there we go. Overall, then, Danny, my friend, hit, miss, or middling? I'm going for a high hit on this one. Um, I'll definitely go back and watch this. There were some excellent matches in this, and the storyline development was fantastic. So, yeah, big hit. How about yourself, mate? Yep, same for me. Big, big hit. The The wrestling was decent to brilliant. Um, even the match, I mean, the main event was 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 bang average, but even that was watchable. Um, the the high points in the, that I covered already with regards to Malenko and so on were fantastic. Um, Piper arriving was excellent. The the end of the paper obviously just fell off a sodden cliff, of course. But <laughs> overall, really enjoyable show. Really, really enjoyable pay per view, and I'm, I'm excited to see where we go from there, bud. 
Me too, mate. Excellent stuff. So, before we depart this week, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you and all the content you're involved in online? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Me podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be talking about the post-Halloween Havoc um, Nitro with the great Cy Powell. We will indeed. We will indeed. More Nitro to come. World War Three fast approaching as well, isn't it? That pay-per-view. Yeah. The crazy mishmash 60-man mess that that is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anything I am involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. So that's SJP World Media on Facebook, Twitter, and all your podcast players, platforms, and providers. Check us a follow, a like. Uh, join the Facebook group, um, subscribe on your podcast players as well, so you never miss a show when it drops. And also keep an eye out for the SJP World Media YouTube and Twitch channels, as well as the group that I mentioned on Facebook as well, because whenever a show goes live, those are the three locations you can catch it. Live on Facebook in the private group, which is easy to join. Just ask and you'll get let in. As long as you're not a dick, you get to stay. On Facebook uh, there and also on YouTube and Twitch, you can catch the live shows. And that includes chain wrestling on a monday night in the corner reviewing modern day wwe every wednesday night with benny mack and the awesome tyler peters uh, more content coming too as well with the volley joining us very very soon covering live football premier league matches live watch alongs there so you can sit in the comfort of your own armchair with a nice cold one and a bit of grub and talk with fellow football fans or even argue with fellow football fans if you wish via the sjp world media network there but most importantly you can find and follow this show on facebook and twitter at nitro underscore nights that's at nitro underscore nights again make sure you've liked subscribed followed and all that good stuff so you do not miss an episode when we drop them every single thursday this here danny believe it or not i think is episode 76 of nitro nights fantastic nearly 100 yeah get in there mate get in there and we have got a long way to go my friend absolutely <laughs> it's gonna it's long and rambling like a piper promo i'll see you next week bird take care mate and to everyone else as always thank you for listening <laughs>